this is Leadership and Lattes. I'm Crystal Roberts and I'm here virtually with my co-hosts, Trisha Ryan and Dr. Danielle Lord, and our special guest, Dr. Katie Kilty. Welcome, Katie. Hi. We're, ha- we're happy to, ha- to have you today, and we're really glad our listeners have joined us. In anticipation of recognizing Mental Health Awareness Month in May, today we're talking about mental health in our workplaces and in society in general, and its impact on employee performance. The importance of our awareness of these issues and what leaders can do to support employees and create safe environments to bring these discussions out into the open. In our last episode, Trisha, Danielle, and I introduced and explored this topic. Today, we are continuing to dig deeper into this really important topic for leaders, and we are excited and privileged to have a special guest with us, um, Katie Kilty, to help us um, with that endeavor. So grab a cup, let's talk about leadership. So welcome again, Katie Kilty. Katie and I met through a workshop that we both attended and we were paired together through through this program as buddies. And from the first moment that we were paired, I knew it was a great match. Katie is energetic, thoughtful, funny, wise, creative with lots of great ideas. And uh, you can tell that she really has your best interest at heart. Katie, <laughs> Katie um, has a very diverse and interesting background from working with Olympic athletes and coaches, sports teams in New Zealand, and teaching Brene Brown's gifts of imperfection concepts through yoga. Katie has been the principal of Mind Power Resources, her own company for more than 25 years, and is a professor at Endicott College for more than 15 years. She's a leadership coach, facilitator, and tenured professor who believes that anything is possible. She has witnessed this while working alongside people of multiple cultures, abilities, and ways of being through her life. She is an experiential leader, learner with an adventurous spirit, driven by curiosity and innovation. You can see why I would want to be her buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Using a combination of courageous leadership principles and design thinking, she works collaboratively with leaders and organizations to build sustainable cultures of excellence and well-being. She has her doctorate of education in performance psychology, counseling, and developmental studies, and a master's degree in sports psychology, both from Boston University. She is a Brene Brown Dare to Lead and Daring Way Rising Strong Facilitator, She's written a book called Creating Healthy Habits and is working on her second one. She lives in Rockport, Massachusetts. So welcome again, Katie. Thank you. So obviously, Katie, you have a lot to offer and we're really looking forward to this discussion with you. So we'll go ahead and get started. So we were talking with Katie before we started recording and she said, the hardest question of all is the first one. so my story, that's a great question. I, I am, um, stories are important. And so my story is not a, the list of the things that I've done or accomplished. My story is my way of being. And my way of being in the world is as a curious, um, engaged, collaborative uh, learner. I love to learn. I love to meet people from all different walks of life. And I um, appreciate the fact that from a young age, um, the message was that you could learn from anybody and in any situation. And so it didn't have to be someone who was qualified, credentialed, which I have certainly have plenty of those, um, but that uh, anybody could teach you something. There's always so much to learn. 
And I really appreciate that message. And, you know, when I think about how I arrived to where I am now and, and um, my path, it has not been a um, straight trajectory. I knew um, that I wanted to be uh, doing something for work, which helped people uh, develop the tools to actualize their potential. I get the biggest buzz when I see people just like, oh, that moment of like, wow, I'm doing it. <laughs> and that magic that happens and that um, through the process of growing skills and connecting to confidence and strength and their own essence, people can rise. And I just love to see that as individuals. I love to see that as um, teams. Uh, work teams, sports teams, families, whatever the case may be, but that um, collective energy and uh, effervescence that happens when people come together and, and create together is, is just magic. And I love to witness it and I love to be a part of it. And my story is that I've um, been traveling since I was very young all over the world and, and actually participated in different cultures and worked with different peoples um, throughout and uh, it's given me incredible perspective. And um, one thing that's informed me, um, I, I, my dad was a professor and uh, he and I went on semester at sea when I was in high school, which you take a small ship and you travel around the world and then go to school. And so I was in high school, but I, of course I told everybody I was in college and because <laughs> I wanted to be in college. And, um, but I remember we were crossing the Pacific and sitting, we were like out at sea for a couple of days and I'd been around the ocean, it's my home actually, the ocean. And people were really getting anxious and they were like, we haven't seen other humans. And, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, you could see whales in the distance and storms. <laughs> and it was just, me, it was just like, oh, this odd nature. And, and I was by myself on the bow and, and just found my little nook. And I just remember thinking like, wow, you know, this world is so huge and there's so much going on and it's never ever just about me. And it was so freeing. And I'm so grateful for that experience at the age of 15 because I like it's, I have impacts and I have agency and it's never always ever about just me. So that I am, you know, whatever I do has that ripple effect in the ocean. And, um, and a couple of other messages that I received were, you know, my dad used to say, go the way the people go. Like if we're, if we're going to a country, we're actually going to be in the country and also never forget that most of the rest of the world has it much harder than we do. Mm. So pay attention. And then the last thing is my mom used to say, I taught my kids how to build their nest in a storm. And we had lots of storms growing up and she did, you know, so my nest is in me and I take that wherever I go. So always clear on my values and what's important to me. And so for me, what I'm realizing in this time is that my story is I'm okay with the messy middle because I know there's another side that, you know, we're, we're cruising along and a storm will come and then you get through the storm and you keep going. And so I feel like right now, given the way the world is in many ways, um, for many reasons that we're in a, we're in a pretty big messy middle right now. And for me, what I notice in my work and how I'm moving through it is that when I anchor into my values and in really clear about that, that keeps me going. And so the messy middle isn't so scary. So that's a, that's one version of my story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that Katie. And I really loved a couple of the things that you said around um, that you can learn from anyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's mm -hmm. just so true. And we just have to pause 
and be present and to recognize that that's a gift yeah. that's being given you. Mm. So, um, and even when it's really difficult. So when you were talking about that being messy in the middle, I thought, yep, um, I can really resonate with that. Uh, and I, I loved your comment about um, the collective effervescence, effervescence when people <laughs> come together. You know, that's just, um, again, so powerful. You have to, you have to stop and pause and, and notice that uh, and mm -hmm. feel that. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be so tough in that messy middle that we're in right now. So, um, so thank you for, thank you for that. Sometimes too, allowing it to happen and being and knowing to your point that there's another side, you know, that murky, you know, not knowing where you are in the center that sometimes can be just, you know, horrifying for some people, but, and that's sort of what we're talking about as well. You know, mm -hmm. today, you know, we've, we've heard in a lot of experts talk about, about this being a, it's like this wave that we're in right now, the second wave is being a psychological pandemic. But um, in reality, beyond COVID, we've had issues with, or there's been a, a lot of things that have been going on with mental health for years before that. I mean, this is, this is just something that's a lot more um, front of mind now because people are, they're stuck or they feel stuck. So, so my question for you is, um, what do you think is really important about this moment right now that people need to think about as they're dealing with mental health perhaps or that messy middle? Mm, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great question. I appreciate that. So one of the things that um, I've shifted in when I talk about um, mental health, I've actually started using mental well-being because mm -hmm. like, for me, mental health um, implies mental illness, you know, that, yeah. and so there, it's actually an advancement to talk about mental health versus solely mental illness, but that to get away from the uh, more illness-based, you know, medical model and well-being, we all have mental well-being, we all have well-being, states of well-being. And so um, I think it's important to recognize that and that if we look at it in a similar way as physical well-being, there are days when we are more physically well than others. And there are moments throughout the day where that fluctuates. And I would say it's, I would argue that it's similar to mental well-being. So, you know, and I, I feel like what's really important is that we don't try to power through and be this, you know, positive and it's going to be great, but that we actually feel what we're feeling and really uh, start to um, cultivate emotional literacy and then emotional agility and really, um, focusing in a lot on Susan David's work right now. She's magnificent. And um, she and actually Brene Brown did a, a podcast recently back to back where they combined. And it's just this, um, Susan David talks about uh, saying, I am feeling to create a space versus I, you know, like I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling happy versus I am sad or I am happy because it, it gives you that space to actually mm -hmm. understand that one, now I have a little, I have some choice as to how I want to respond versus react. And two, you know, I can feel sad and happy in the same moment, right? And so I think if we really actually help people um, start to articulate their feelings, identify their feelings and articulate them and create that space in work environments, in, you know, other, as we are feeling beings, 
mm. who think and act. We're not thinking beings right? first. And so um, my, what I think is really important right now is that we recognize that a lot has happened. And as we go back to work, we need to create space for people to um, acknowledge what they're feeling when they're collecting back together at work or not, or still, you know, we are, again, we're in that messy middle. And so there's no right or wrong. You know, you may feel excited to go back to work. You may also feel really anxious to be around people again. Okay. That's okay. Right. Um, versus, okay, everybody's back. Let's go. Let's get back to it. And I feel like what's also important is the pressure. Um, there's, I keep hearing this, um, um, language around productivity we have to get you have to get back and get productive and you know and all this like yeah. energy around as if we haven't been productive and i mean actually people have been amazingly productive given everything that's been going on and so part of me is curious like what is that about is it is it a feeling like we have to make up for a lost year there's a sense of grief and loss um and yes there has been grief and loss however not necessarily around productivity it's just been the way we get there is different. So I, I feel like what's important right now is the, that we actually allow space to see each other and to be seen and to have the flexibility, trust that the work will get done and have the flexibility as leaders um, to allow people the room to do what they need to do in those moments whenever it hits them, you know, comes in to be able to respond and then move through and then come back and do the work, quote unquote, when they can. And so it's, it's really a turn around the, the, um, the way we work. And so I think to try and force everybody back into the pre-existing system is going to be a big mistake. So. So good, yeah. It, it's interesting though, we're, we're talking about so many people just looking at men mental well-being as um, during this COVID time, you know, and it's really not, it's like all the time, but right now they're stuck on COVID and I, and I get it, you know, I, I get it myself, you know, we we're always trying to keep ourselves in check and make sure that we're, you know, being true to ourselves, but um, I wonder how many leaders today are thinking beyond COVID at how they're handling the mental well-being of their their workforce. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Well, and I think it's I think you may have said this before too that it's it's you know COVID has uncovered many things. Mm -hmm. Like this great pause has surfaced and and other situations that are happening surfaced many things. So mental well-being was brewing as a as something that we needed to attend to yeah. a, a while ago and now this just, you know, has exacerbated the process and it's mm -hmm. it's um, it's definitely important. And I feel like if, if leaders are hesitant to explore their own well-being, mental well-being, then they're going to armor up and not create space for that. And that's really because they're uh, fear. It's, it's fear, but the result of fear is armoring. So you're protecting. And then this concept of being resilient, come on, you have to be resilient. Like it's a Teflon mm -hmm. thing. And actually resilience is not that at all. Right. And yep. so, um, yeah, so it starts with the leaders understanding and being able to be okay with whatever the other person's messy middle is. <laughs> right. So, yeah. 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 
Yeah. yeah. I feel so, like that's just something we're really uh, struggling with that whole, um, that fear for leaders that if we talk about it, if we, that, that, that there's some, they don't know what to do next. Like, how do we actually engage in this? Because they haven't dealt with their own, their own, um, mental well-being, um, and really examine that. And then the vulnerability to share that, to say, oh gosh, you know, this is, I've been struggling too. And I really don't know what the outcome is going to be. Um, I don't know what that next beginning looks like. Um, that's been a huge um, source of stress, I think, for a lot of leaders in our organization mm -hmm. um, is not being able to, this constant um, re, re-looking at, oh no, it's uh, changing dates, changing regulations, changing always, because you mm -hmm. want to be right, right? You always want to be right. You want, when you communicate, that's the right thing. But two months later or a week later, um, it's changed. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there's all this pushback from employees to say, well, how come you didn't know? Well, we didn't know because <laughs> we didn't know. Yeah. So yeah, we're giving you the best that we can. So that all that uncertainty um, is uh, challenging. Yeah. And, and as humans, um, most humans really uh, prefer to be certain and if there is uncertainty, they'll create uncertainty, you know, stories we make up about mm -hmm. things. And so, you know, and again, if your organization was not a, a highly trusting environment before this, well, you know, probably a lot of the stories have to do with trust, you know, emerging and how do we engender trust now, given that things are fluid and we, you know, things right now, hopefully things are moving in a great direction of bringing people back. However, we could get another surge and then we'll have to go back again. And I think people are, um, how that, how that message is conveyed is really important. Um, and so as leaders, what can you do to engender trust and generosity of assumption? Again, that people are doing the work, people are working hard and they're showing up and they're, you know, being productive or, um, contributing in the best way that they can. And, and, you know, what, what support do you need to keep going versus this is how it has to be. And I remember when, when uh, the mm -hmm. pandemic first started, there was a lot of one company, which I won't say the name, um, was very free. You know, yes, you can work from home. You can da 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 da. And then it was like, no, wait a minute. And the, the employees had to start checking in hourly. Mm -hmm. they, they, they started tracking. And I was like, well, that's miserable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see how long that lasts. Not a lot of trust <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. 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 So what is the message there? Yeah. Yeah. But so, and, and the other thing, Crystal, to your point is that um, one of the things I've been doing, um, I found out uh, through a colleague and, and uh, I'll talk about a little bit about the business in a minute, but mental health first aid mm -hmm. is an incredible training that pe people just don't have the tools to have the conversation. Yeah, so yeah. part of my goal and my work is to just change the narrative on mental well-being. It's a wellness check. It's just, you know, like, how's it going? And if you see something, check in with the person. But if you don't have the tools, if you don't have the language, then it becomes like, what if they say they're really depressed? Well, I don't know yeah. what to do. And then yeah, it's yeah, like, right. blah, blah, blah. you know, the, the tape runs to the worst case scenario versus just, yeah, actually, I'm feeling quite stressed right now. Thank you for asking. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just the recognition and normalization that this is, this is a tough time and we have feelings about that. Yeah. 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 And I, I think it's, you know, it's, 
even it's bigger than that, right? It's for so many years we were told, well, you know, leave your problems at the door. Don't bring them to work. And, you know, I think one of the messages that, that we're trying to constantly put out there is that we are whole people and we bring our whole selves into the organization. But that still is, seems like such a foreign concept. For a lot of individuals, I think, particularly, you know, for some of these folks who have been operating in this, you know, kind of command and control environment for so many years, it's, it's really tough. But uh, I and, and I so appreciate what you said about uh, when we get back together, um, just give us all a few minutes, you know, yeah, we're going to see that we're going to see that dip in productivity, but it's it's a little different from the old change management of, you know, don't let people linger in pity city for too long. This is almost like party city. So let people <laughs> just be in the little party atmosphere for a little bit and rejoice in the fact that we're back together again, uh, oh. if that truly is, is what people want to rejoice in. Um, and oh, gosh, yeah, there was uh, yeah, you were. Uh, I can't recall what it was that spurred me to think about this, Katie. What you were saying is, the, you know, this the shift in the dynamic of how we've operated, and I almost wonder if, you know, we've we've all kind of, I think, in some ways, taken a little bit of a deep breath, right? We people have realized that, wow, without my commute, I'm home, and I'm um, having. I'm making dinner and we're sitting down together and having dinner as a family, or I'm able to get up and go into my yard um, and have some grounding with nature for a few minutes or so it, how freeing that is for the mind. And mm -hmm. if people are having more creative, creative thoughts, more ideation, because they have now more mental energy to be thinking differently. Mm. Um, so just, yeah, it's just kind of some things I was uh, kind of, uh, pondering on as I was uh, listening to you so <laughs> yeah that's a great point but yeah. my my question for you and I didn't mean to cut you off if you had something else you wanted to add so, so as, as you work with leaders and organizations and coaches and Olympic athletes uh, with the ultimate goal of improving performance what lessons and wisdoms can you share about what you've learned working with those two different populations, uh, in particular, how that converges um, as, as both parties are so different, yet both working towards the same goal of, of performance and effectiveness? Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting question, actually. I, um, well, I would say the main lesson is we're all human, and I believe that... Um, in saying that, we also don't have the same motivation to excel for, you know, in certain things, right? And so I think that um, going back to values again, you know, really being clear on values and that, that where we align in our values and where we differ in our values doesn't mean that we can't figure out how to excel together. And so there is no right or wrong way. And I, I can say that the the most um, impactful leaders that I've worked with in either space or had the privilege of observing see, you know, they see who's in front of them and they, they actually connect with the people. And it's not, um, one coach said, uh, an elite coach said, you know, when I first started coaching, the message was, um, you know, don't get too close, don't get too close to them. Mm. Um, because mm -hmm. it'll, it'll be trouble. Right. And, uh, and then he realized, um, several years in, he's like, that's like, that was like the worst message <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with boundaries, with healthy boundaries. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? There's been some uh, inappropriate, 
relationships as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's really about being able to also to be vulnerable and to be yeah. authentic with boundaries. So boundaries, integrity, generosity of assumption, right? And so and we don't, I guess I shouldn't say we, but in my experience, um, unless someone intentionally teaches their children how to set boundaries or you learn it on yourself, it's not a given that people understand what that means and how to walk in the world with healthy boundaries. Yeah. And that makes a big difference. And then, you know, it's always for me, like, who's it for? If you're asking someone to do something, like, who's that for? Is it to stroke your ego? Yeah. To, you know, again, to help elevate their performance developmentally. Why are you communicating the way you're communicating? You know, ultimately, is it for you because you felt like you need a little boost? Or is it really what's appropriate in the situation? And so, um, and what I've also learned is that it's really important to have your, um, Go to people, you know, the support mm-hmm. world. Other, you once you the thing that happens with leaders, I think, in both places is that the farther up you go, the more isolated you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for and sure. It's lonely. Yeah, and that's the other big thing. People think it's like, oh, fantastic, you're the inter-, yeah. and it's really lonely. And so, where do you go for your support, for your well-being? What do you do to nourish your soul? You know, and and connect with others and. and and that's true for coaches of sport. That's true for leaders in other organizations. But it's really like recognizing, like, how do I still feel connected in a way that's that's healthy um, while I know that I have this different position? And, and some of it depends on the structure of the company, the, the leader style, et cetera. Um, but, and there are still ways that you can be more relational. I prefer a relational approach to leadership yeah. from that yes. uh, relational cultural theory from the stone setter. However, there are places, there are times when, you know, different types of leadership make sense. But for me, it's just really like the lessons learned are like, how do you know who you are as a, as a leader, mm-hmm. um, it, regardless mm-hmm. of where you're working or what you're doing and how does that, um, what, you know, what are your values? What are your core, um, uh, ways of being and then when you're out of alignment from that how do you know when you're out of alignment and how do you know what to do to get back in alignment and the leaders that I've had the privilege of working with who are not pos- titled positions there's some fantastic athletes on the bench who are amazing leaders or people on the floor doing work you know mm-hmm. in different organizations That's true. Um, they, they walk with a confidence that you know I'm not perfect and I'm okay with that. Like they are, they're okay with messy metal too. You know? <laughs> and, and also circling back and saying, I made a mistake, mm-hmm. right? I need to yeah. fix, I need to come back. I, I didn't say that the way I wanted to. The feedback I gave you was, was super harsh. And I, I need to clean up how I said that because the intention wasn't to do for it to come out that way. I got, you know, hooked, whatever it is, but that they're, they're um, whole in their, awareness of not being perfect yeah yeah so yeah so important and that is you were uh you know talking about executive leaders specifically and you know that 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 status of lonely at the top right and not necessarily knowing if you have a who is in your network and and even even sharing i think sometimes with your spouse 
um, who is a great sounding board oftentimes, but doesn't have your shared experience. And so, uh, you know, yeah, it does become more and more lonely. And it makes me think about, you know, this, this whole idea of, of self-care, as you mentioned, and when, and when we can't do that, you know, we, we really do start to go into that very, you know, negative space of, of fear and guilt and shame and all of that. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that, um, uh, mental health care right it really is pretty new i think in terms of the, the entering into the lexicon of the organization so uh, as we begin to you know surface this and um, bring it to the forefront and say let's let's have these conversations of mental well-being in the workplace because i do think that there is an ethical responsibility around that but what advice would you have uh, for leaders who are just kind of dipping their toe into this and thinking is this somewhere i want to where somewhere i want to go yeah yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, so you know, in my experience in the wellness world, uh, corporate wellness comes and goes in waves, and I think we're on an upswing again. Uh, however, the wellness models are often around physical fitness, losing weight, you know, stress mm -hmm. management, um, and yes, those contribute to mental well-being for sure. Um, it's, uh, I think it's it's first of all um, for leaders to understand what they're asking of their team <laughs> like what is our work culture just taking an audit so versus coming in with the latest program and you know another thing to do right to actually yeah. pause mm -hmm. and think about what is our work culture ask of employees um is there what is what am i asking of my team what am i asking of myself what am i modeling um you know if there are not resources and in and in, in infrastructure built into truly create the space for people to take time to um, be well, it's lip service. Yes. Yeah. Right? So if you're not, if you're saying, you know, it's okay to take a, a sick day. And one of the best things my mom did when we were growing up, and now that I'm thinking of this, she, we were thankfully very healthy family. So hardly ever had a day off from being a day off, a sick day, from, you know, <laughs> miss school for that. But she could tell when we were stressed or something was going on, because I said there was, you know, some strife and growing up, but she's like, do you need it? Do you need like a mental health day? And we'd be like, yeah. And what a beautiful gift. Right? Yeah. yeah. Why do you have to make up that you're physically ill to just yeah. say, I need a day or I need it an afternoon. And so all of that are, those are just small things that are actually quite impactful that leaders could do if they want to dip a toe in, just start paying attention and noticing what am I saying? How am I conveying? Am I creating infrastructure to support people to take care of themselves? And then you can decide what you want to do from there. <laughs> <laughs> Those are great first steps. Yeah. Great first steps. Very the, practical. The okay. other one, I think, and just um, once they got, they have that clarity of what they want is then to model it. Yes. So I, I feel yeah. like that's such an important piece. And when they don't, no one else does either. Yeah, because you give it that lip service, like, like you were talking about. But then, if they're answering the emails at midnight or never yeah. take a vacation day, then people don't feel the employees don't feel the um, sort of that uh, freedom to be able to actually do the things that we know make sense. It yeah. has a great impact on trust, you know. Yes. Yeah, if your leader yeah. does what they say is important, then. Mm -hmm you're going to have a lot more trust for what they're saying than if they say it and don't do it. So we see that all the time. 
Yeah. Right. Right. And the other thing I'm reminded of is that in sport, there's something called periodization. And it's when you look at um, your, your training plan for uh, if it's for the Olympic for a quad, you know, and you have to um, have certain events to qualify, et cetera, but they, but you actually build out like where you cycle up to peak performance and then rest and recovery. Mm. oftentimes in sport but I you know when I'm teaching I say to students let's do your periodization plan for the semester like look at put all your syllabi together and and so they're in business they're sprints right where you have to Mm. you know we have a huge project so to to actually as planfully as you can say you know what we're going to be going strong you know like this is going to be it I'm, I'm going to ask of you this amount of time each day and please know that on the other side, or the, the, here's the pockets within this time that I would like you to take a half an hour or an hour or a half a day or whatever, just to be a little bit more mindful of um, how to act strategically create space, windows of space. It doesn't have to be a week off, but just again, that, that room to breathe, to be able to say, whoa, what am I feeling? You know, And just even things like that make a, an enormous difference because it's not just, it's never enough, right? Mm-hmm, or you, mm-hmm. you have to do this. This is our, you know, this is the way we do this. And it's like, well, it, it maybe was, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. I have my husband, I was trying to, uh, long story, but the expectations are, are very high in terms of uh, when they're on call. And so basically my husband's work, you know, like three weeks straight and without a weekend off in between. And uh, I said, you know, I was trying to gently nudge him to take today off and uh, I said well my my work isn't done I'm like sweetheart your work's never done <laughs> if our work was done we'd be contract employees right but our work is never done and the organization's just gonna have to be okay with that and so are you anyway he's back at work so <laughs> yeah and is it is it the end of the world yeah 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 at that time well oh yeah. but I th- and again I think people are there's a, a concern that so the flip side of that is how is your husband being valued or how are we valuing mm. people? So we, so they know that if you know what, if you do take a day off, you're not, someone's not going to jump right in and take your spot. Like, yeah, you right. know, yeah. You still add value to this place. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. and they, for, to your point about boundaries, you know, they've completely let go of any kind of boundaries. So work becomes life and life becomes work and, and they no yeah. longer have that separation. So I, I know it's really easy for me to come in and start working in the morning and I'm in meetings until the end of the day. And it's like, I don't think I did that when I was going into the office, mm-hmm. but now mm-hmm. it's so easy. You just push the button. Right. So, but I can see how people could get a little overwhelmed by that. I, I mm-hmm. kind of thrive on a lot of it, but, but I also, like to have a moment where I can just get outside for a few minutes and and I can I can almost envision that being something that would be difficult for a leader to to promote in a way because you're telling people that you don't want them to work or you don't have any kind of idea about how much time they really are working and if they would just relax a little bit they might find that you can get a lot of work done in a lot less time sometimes yeah so mm-hmm. true. And, and you remind me, so again, a simple thing a leader can do is we have what we call reset rituals. So before you jump into the next meeting, you actually, and there's that third space, which is another way of thinking of it, right? So let go of where you came from, mm. create a third space, 
before, instead of jumping right into where you're going and just take a few deep breaths, you know, ground yourself in your seat, stand up and stretch, yeah. whatever, so that there's a, a reset to say we we're moving from one thing to another versus this on and on and on of endless, you know, like eight hours went by. I don't know what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Light out still. Yeah. Yeah. Our our centering moments. We do that with our centering moments, right? Which is the, yeah, move collectively from one space to another and allow yourself the time to kind of process it. So, yeah. 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 One of the practices I've um, tried, I I have not been hugely successful, but I continue to be um, optimistic that we'll make it work is to have five minutes in between meetings. So ending, although I was just, so I have more control over that, that I can end a meeting if I'm in charge, but um, I was just reading, I think it was Microsoft that is, uh, he's done, they've done some studies about that going from meeting to meeting uh, on Zoom and the stress level and the hormones that are building up in people's brains. So um, they were saying, start the meeting always start meetings five minutes or 10 minutes late. And oh. I thought that's actually a, a better process because it's the always trying to shut it down part. You know, it's like, oh, we, we just got to get this one more thing done. Okay. So now we went right up to the time. We yeah. did not get our five minutes, but if you yeah. always started late, then you wouldn't have that same sort of pressure to get one more thing done. And so yeah, I thought, hmm, I might think about that doing it the other <laughs> end of the meeting. Maybe I'd have more success. I'd experiment with that one. Yeah, because if you create the space, is what you were saying, um, Trisha, if you create the space up front, then people have more room to access what they need to know. And actually, the meeting could go more efficiently. Yeah. It's also nice to end, like two word check in, two word check out. Just a, there's a beginning and an ending versus yeah. the small. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like when you're, when you're trying to end early, there's almost a little anxiety about getting done fast, right? Mm-hmm. Or getting done quickly, especially if you're running late. But if you're running late by design, it probably is great. You know, you yeah. have nothing to lose. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Yeah. I'm gonna try it. <laughs> All right. So we are down to our last uh, question, which is good because I think our timing is going well. So you are, Katie, you're working on some exciting new things coming up, like starting a new company mm-hmm. and writing a book. So can you tell us more about this and what impact you're hoping to have with these new endeavors? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so the new business is Whole Health Sport, and I'm working with two amazing women, uh, Lynn Henninghouse and Samantha uh, Livingstone. And Lynn is a national trainer for mental health first aid organization and Sam is an Olympic gold medalist and a champion for mental health and she has her own practice um, in uh, performance enhancement, mindfulness-based performance enhancement. And the three of us met serendipitously, which I love about life. So that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to, like, I love to collaborate. And as I said, I can learn from anyone. And we, we just are so, um, all sport people in some way um and our goal is to train coaches and sports mm-hmm. um professionals and parents we have a parents group starting on mental health first aid and so what mental health first aid is it's similar to regular first aid where you just you develop the skills to have a conversation about mental well-being and so we want to change the narrative in sport 
and we want to create this like tsunami effect. So we have the whole health sport nation and we're just building this collective um, group of people who are skilled at talking about mental well-being and then know what to do if someone is in a case similar to first aid. If it's an injury that mm -hmm. needs more help, then you are the bridge. You are the connector. And what we've done because we're we're very passionate also about not just ticking the box. So, yep, you can take the training and be done. And if you're like me, every time I take first aid, I'm like, please, someone get hurt in the next two weeks because then I'll know what to do. <laughs> not that I want anybody to get hurt. But so what we also do is we have a six week um course like where you get a skill so there's a, a prompt at the beginning a skill to practice during the week and then a place for you to share your experience and then we also have a monthly round table and there's a coaches to coaches network for support we want coaches to have a place to go to say hey i tried this or what do you think i should do here not prescriptive we're not diagnosing we're just creating a huge network of support in the sports space which um you know coaches are first responders for a lot of um, mm. young people in particular and people and sport has been a place that um, has had a lot of struggle in, during COVID in terms of not being able to have uh, participation. Coaches are gonna see a lot of the residuals of anxiety, depression, et cetera. And so mm. we feel like it's really important to help them skill up. Parents of athletes the same, sport administrators. So we're going into schools and doing the athletic department we're with hopefully national governing bodies we just did a big swimming club so that's our passion and our goal is to really um create a different you know change the narrative in sport around mental well-being and know that athletes are humans we are whole humans who our athletes our firefighters are this or that but we are not just identified by our title um so that's one. Can you talk a little excited about that? <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. I can and, see a ripple effect in in business and in organizations as a result of that because athletes grow up, you yes. know, and it's mm, yeah. yeah, those leaders of the future. And I, I think that's so healthy. It's such a wonderful idea that they learn these these tools and, and skills coaches do to be able to bring up healthy athletes and yeah. hopefully. hopefully healthy leaders in the future. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We'd also like to work with like adult, early adult athletes, you know, high school maybe, but just aware of the boundaries there. And then similarly, but a little different, I'm um, writing a book that has been in process for a long time with the colleague, uh, Dr. Peter Davis, and we are writing a, a navigation, a, a tool to help parents navigate youth sport. Like there's a long-term athlete development model it's in the States a little bit, but really like, how do you, how do parents, how to help parents become more informed consumers of the sports space? So some kids excel in the high pressured sport environment and that's great. And you know what, there's a whole lot of other ways of being physically active and participating in sport that exists that just don't have the same attention and um, validation that the um, expensive elite sport programs do. So we're not saying that those are awful, although some can be, some can also be great, but we are saying, you know what, um, there's a, a way for your child, if they choose to participate in being physically active in organized sport, that you can um, connect with that. But also if your child is participating in those other programs, some things, some tools to um, 
understand about how much training is okay for the body, you know, what, what is an appropriate amount of competition, et cetera. So really navigation guide for parents to uh, help themselves and their children have a, again, a more holistic, healthier sport experience. Fantastic. Yeah. It's it's so needed. It's so needed. And those conversations really, um, really need to, to be had with the, with the thinking strategically with the, with the parents um, and understanding what, what, like you said, the good things, but also being prepared for some of the challenges that'll come um, if they do make certain choices. And so, and then sport and learning skills about how to be a leader and how to be a good member of a team and all of those things are so important and should be available to, mm-hmm. to everyone, no matter your level of, um, of skill, but also of commitment. Cause I mm-hmm. think there are some, some kids that are highly skilled, but don't want to be in that. Like you said, they don't thrive in that competitive yeah. environment. And so yeah. why they might still have great skill, mm-hmm. a different kind of um, program might be better for them and they should still be able to participate. Yeah. yeah. And the last thing in the sports space, which I'll say quickly is uh, with my colleague from New Zealand, Sue, <laughs> um, Sue, uh, oh, I'm forgetting, Sue Johnson. Wow, I had a little brainwave there. Um, we've been, this is our second round with US Olympic Paralympic Committee of working with coaches, national coaches, and we designed a courageous coaching course mm-hmm that is authentic leadership. It's um, connecting with your values, it's emotional agility, it's social fitness, which is how to have courageous conversations and then well-being. And again, I will say from an earlier question, coaches wanna know how to do better for themselves and also how to do better for the athletes that they're working with. They're hungry for this kind of knowledge and it's not about strategy or X's and O's, it's how to be um, higher quality humans who are then trying to help develop other humans. So, yeah. yeah. What an important, important role, right? Mm, So much responsibility and impact that those coaches have. So, thank you. Sounds like you found your niche. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all of your experiences and passion coming together um, to make a really important impact. So, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being with us today. And I was thinking, you know, a couple of things that you said that you can learn from anyone. And I know we have learned uh, from you and I know our listeners will um, also learn uh, today. So we are grateful for that. And I know I can speak for myself. I felt the effervescence from us coming (laughs) together. (laughs) It was an effervescent moment. So thank you. Yeah. So just my formal closing out and closing, I wanted to remind our audience to send in their questions about leadership and leading in these unprecedented times. And we'll try and answer them on air in an upcoming podcast. Send your questions to leadership and lattes. That's leadership, A-N-D and lattes at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about us or the show, please go to thepinnaclecc.com. We also um, have on that site, we have a... um, a guest page for the podcast. So if you want to know more about Katie or how to connect with her, you can find it there. Um, Technical support is is provided by Ari Chance Roberts. And lastly, please subscribe to our podcast. It's free. And please share with other leaders like yourself that you think would benefit from this podcast.
Thank you, Trisha and Danielle for co-hosting with me and Katie for being our guest. Yes, thank you, Katie. Pleasure to meet you. you. I look forward to our next podcast and thanks to our audience for listening. We'll see you next time. Take care.